Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to the final edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast of 2020. Uh, it's uh, it's a small one today. I'm joined by uh, Johnny once again. Johnny, welcome back. Yeah, I mean, what an intro that is. A small one. I mean... <laughs> it will be a small one as in the amount of people, but a big one because there will be lots of personality. Thank you. That's a little bit better because at the end, you know one likes to be introduced as the small one. So, but yeah, now I'm back back with a bang, a little bit of a bounce in my step. So, yeah, you know, this may, may be a slightly more positive podcast than the last few ones that I've been on so who knows we'll we'll have to dive in and wait and see what happens yeah because the, the last the last few podcasts that you've been on have, gen- have generally been podcasts where Arsenal were under great stress and we were kind of looking at the the vision in fact we were looking at the entire club on fire and you know kind of coming to the conclusion that we need a clean sweep um <laughs> I think I think on the last one I said the uh, I wanted to see Arteta given the tools that he requires before I fully um, gave up hope. And we didn't need to wait until January to see some hints of, of what was to offer. So um, I think before we get into the Brighton game, the thing that I wanted to talk about and get your take on was um, post-Chelsea uh, we knew that Gabriel had been exposed to COVID. It's now come out that he's got COVID. Arteta's gone into great detail about how he got exposed. It was through his girlfriend who came back in through Brazil. 
Um, but we didn't know about William and David Luis. Today, we found out for sure that David Luis and William have been dropped from the squad. I don't know the facts, but toxic behaviour is is the, the the rumblings that I'm hearing. And it happened again today. How do you feel about Arteta finally taking action on some of those senior players? Um, well, there's a lot here. Uh, so first things first, um, anything that has led to Willian getting dropped is a positive thing. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, David Luiz is a bit of a mixed bag of a character, has been throughout his Arsenal career, but hasn't been throughout his own career. Um, and, you know, there are times where in big games he has put in, you know, dare I say world-class performances, and has stood up and been a, an accountable character. The issue is, is that he's a bit of an enigma when it comes to the way he plays, but also his own temperament. You know, he might just do random, random stuff that will cost his team a game, but he can also ping, you know, a 60-yard 60, 60 moonraker into the you know, path of our uh, strikers. So he's always had that uh, element to him. But if he's becoming more problematic around training ground activities and uh, and having an influence in a negative way, then of course Arteta needs to get rid. But the issue is, is that Arteta's had these situations with other players in the past. Ozil, Guendouzi's playing in Germany right now. You know, we talk about Ainsley Maitland-Niles not being uh, favoured when I think he should definitely have been given more of a chance than what he currently has. Um, but what I would say as well, um, to kind of jump onto your initial introduction into the piece in terms of, you know, you wanted to see Arteta being given more resources and kind of therefore time. Well, what I am not going to do today, whilst I'm very happy with the result, is kind of hold this up as being some kind of, you know, approval for Mikel Arteta in terms of, you know, dare I say, the trust the process. Don't even get started with that shit, you know. I mean, yeah. let's get realistic. The fact is, is that if he had lost today against Brighton, um, and don't get me wrong, we didn't, obviously, but if he had lost today, it would have been still there, get him out. It's as simple as that, because what we couldn't have done is string two results together, which has been his problem. Um, it was a big result for the fact that he did manage to keep that winning momentum and go on, but we, you know, the issues when a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying, I think we need a new manager, um, they were so uh, entrenched and running so deep. That it wasn't just about getting an odd result. It was his judgment was massively called into question. And one of the reasons that I think it's not a complete approval for Arteta at the moment is because of what you also said in introduction about around COVID and whether or not, um, because I believe that uh, Louise and Willian have heard that they were maybe around COVID and it was unsure, certainly in the, for the Chelsea game. And so whether or not that decision to omit those two was actually kind of made easy for Arteta, if not forced his hand. Because in the past, when things had got really ugly, he just resorted to backing these um, senior player rejects and they've been letting him down. So I don't know whether his hand was forced uh, ahead of the Chelsea game and he stumbled onto a solution which a lot of the fans would have been able to talk for uh, uh, recommend for months uh, in terms of after seeing the dross that we have been watching and wanting to give the kids a go so that's my initial kind of thoughts on the situation yeah I, 
I was um, I was in a good place. However, that decision came about. I think that some of the best decisions in Arsenal's history have been stumbled upon. Um, Ashley Cole, because Silvino had a, a fake passport. Nicholas Bedner out on the wing. Uh, and now we've discovered <laughs> that dropping players that don't really want to be there, that are causing problems, is actually beneficial for um, the overall team. And I think what um, I think what really shone through in both games, and it's something that I've spoken about before, is 70% of a world-class player is appears to be less effective than 100% of an average player. And I think that, you know, we're not going to hit top four with this starting 11. No way. But we'll hit mid-table. And the starting 11 that we put out today would be higher up the table than the you know the squad that we've been playing with before, so I think there's um I think there's a lot to be taken by that. I think the big question going forward, and maybe we can talk about this later, is that's three first four hundred thousand pounds worth of talent that you've that we've deemed surplus again. <laughs> right? There's a he's he's not, and I think it's unfair when people say uh, I, I read somebody say that he's isolated William. And David Luiz. I don't I don't think that's fair. I think that he put a lot of faith in those two and they badly let him down. But regardless, when you look at that balance sheet and you see William 250 grand a week, uh Luis 160, um, Ozil, so- Socrates, um, even Mustafi, you, you have to start like you have to start looking somewhere to to lay some blame. But um, those are the negative bits um about the the massive transformation we've seen over two games. And I agree with you. This Arteta is not out of the woods. He is not out of the woods. He's got, for me, he's got five months to shape it, um, to shape the season. And I think that one of the interesting things that I know is I watch all of Arteta's press conferences um, on a really good YouTube channel. It's called like Haters TV. And all they do is manager press conferences. And after the Chelsea game, Mikel Arteta would look like he'd been chastened, looked like he'd he'd been to the darkest place um, over the Christmas period. He was miserable and he was muted and he looked like he'd really been taught a lesson. Um, and I wonder whether it is the realisation that he doesn't have all the answers, that he's made some horrendous mistakes and that he's fearful for his job. And these so-called desperate moves... I actually hit his ego quite badly because he's like you say, these resources have been there for this season. They were last season. These resources should have been the summer transfer strategy, right? Emil Smith Rowe looked brilliant today. Um, so moving on to, he played the, basically the same starting 11 today. And can, can I just say on that point, Pete, because I think it's a good one. So, for me, when I looked at the Chelsea game, I was like, I wasn't, I, I was by no means optimistic that we'd win, but I thought that we were less likely to just get rolled over than what some people were painting us to be. And, and my reason for that was, I, it was an absolute last-ditch game for Arteta at Chelsea. If he didn't do that, it's an absolute sack him tonight, don't want to see another day, he needs to be out the door, like, you know, quick. And, and let me also be clear as well. A couple of, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, I think Arteta has to go. I'm not wrong for saying Arteta should have been sacked because he'd done enough to get himself sacked. It wouldn't have been a bad decision. 
if we sacked Arteta, even knowing what we have known from the last two games. Because all you can do as a club is you can set your boundaries for the ways in which you move forward. It's your, you know, it's your strategy, if you will. And if someone wants to put in the worst start in 50 years of your club, they have to accept that, hey, you're in prime real estate for getting sacked. However, it's a choice that the club has made to stick with him. Yeah. And they've been slightly rewarded in the short term by these two results. And now, to back Arteta is a more, seems like a more reasonable, you know, um, kind of uh, plan to go forward. I think more fans would be on because they think, okay, these last couple of results have bought him a little bit more time. But for me, that Chelsea game smacked off. I was like, if he is going to have any future, potentially as a manager full stop, but certainly at Arsenal, he has to win this game. It is down to the last game now. So he, all of these little, you know, because of his inexperience, I think there's a lot of float, uh, ideas floating around his head, different, um, you know, potential solutions. And I think he just has to strip it back at that point and say, I've just got to play because this might be the game that gets me sacked. I'm going to play people who are going to run around. And it reminded me of that Ferguson game, you know, just before he went on his domination with United. There was yeah. a game where he was literally like, if you do not win this game, you're getting sacked. It was well known he was going to get sacked. They won the game. I think Steve Bruce knocked the header in and saved him his job. And then he went on to have a pretty successful time of things, we could all say. Um, so for me, Arteta, it doesn't mean that Arteta's, you know, guaranteed success. I am by no way convinced of that yet. But he has at least left that door open by getting the absolute most last-ditch win he possibly could. And what I needed to see today at Brighton was that he had learned from those lessons that he may have, you know, tripped over his own shoelaces to find in terms of playing the kids, Martinelli, Saka, Smith-Rowe, just for starters, uh, or whether he'd revert back to his old problems. And I'm pleased to see that he uh, stuck to his guns and learned his lessons from last week. Yeah, and um, I, I think the the FA Cup win bought him too much political capital with leadership at the club and maybe the fans. And I think that he got ahead of himself and thought that he could shortcut his entire Arsenal career. Um, I wonder whether he was thinking, I get Arsenal to the Champions League, we do well, Pep leaves, uh, Ronald Koeman probably gets fired at Barcelona, I've got the the $15 million contract coming my way, uh, like, you know, you like UFC, Conor McGregor, it's red panties. <laughs> um, I wonder um, I wonder whether that got the FA Cup got in the way of what the project should have been. The project should have been last summer, strip back the entire squad. You pump the value of a bunch of bums. Let's see if we can sell them. See if Hertha Berlin is still interested in Granite Jacker. Um, and start with the kids. And he's learned the hard way that players in the 30s do not give a fuck about the project. Doesn't matter how professional they are. They're thinking about, like, you know, the Flaminian. They're thinking about investing in renewable energy. They're thinking about going to into Miami. Uh, they're they're not thinking uh, they're thinking about the coaching badges like Arteta was and I think the um, this move it's come late but it's the right move because what it does is he starts to buy back um, he starts to buy back time with the fans because if we win oh Matt Candela is going to join the podcast as well he didn't realize it was um, uh, hey Matt 
he's joining. And anyway, so I, I think the what youth does is youth buys you time with the fans, right? If we have a bad game against West Brom, but you've got Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli playing their hearts out, you, it's a bit more forgivable. But when you see players that, you know, ex-Chelsea bums that have down managers before, Granite Xhaka stinking the place out, Mo Oneni coming back from Besiktas and still playing badly, it weighs on you because you're like, this. I've seen this over and over and over again. So I, I was, I'm excited about the move. I don't know whether it saves Arteta. I think the fans that said he should leave were correct. I think fans that said he sh- they should, Arsenal should show some faith were correct. And because at, at the moment, he's, his career um, is 50-50, which way it goes. It's not like back in Arsene Wenger in 2017, yeah. right? It's not um, ideological. It's kind of like, well, I think that there could be something if he comes out the back end of this. Yeah. Um, so let's like let's talk about um, let's talk about the Brighton game because it wasn't quite the performance that we hoped for, right? And I think that what what it did tell us is that getting back to our best is not going to be a linear path, right? There's going to be ups and downs. So um, I wanted to get a light. Um, give us, Johnny, give us your, your top take on what you thought about the Brighton game. Um, well, I thought that it was actually a very predictable performance. And it's not predictable in the way that we have started our season so far in the way that we're playing predictably. It's predictable in the sense that if there was anyone looking at the Chelsea game thinking, ding, ding, eureka moment, and we're going to come out and play like that every week, because he's finally clocked it. They're living in la-la land. We've got real issues with our team and the way that we play. Um, And one of the reasons why people like myself were getting very excited about playing the kids is not to do with the fact that, you know, we're sitting there with all the La Masia academies on the bench just waiting to be given a chance. Like, we know that some of our younger players are limited, but what they could offer was drive and energy, something that we sorely lack. And you can't fake that. You can't fake running. You can't fake energy. You can't fake effort. The fact is, is if you don't provide these things, you're not going to get anywhere. So, um, broadly speaking, the fact that we started quite drab in that first half, you know, was kind of more of the same in the way that, oh, we've seen this before. But what was then so um, kind of positive was how we came out in the second half, because that feels like maybe it's a moment where it's like, come on guys, we're going down the same routes again, get the players in at half time and can we up it now? And all of the main players who we talked about, all the all the young players had massive, massive impacts on this game. Saka, I think now, let's get realistic, I'm ready to I think he's the best player at the club. Not yeah, not best young I player. Agree. I think he's the best player at Arsenal Football Club. And it is worrying in some respects that there's a nineteen year old who's our best player. But that's just reality now. Um, and for that matter, I think Martinelli, even though he's injured, he's in there with party for second best. You know, and then you're down to Tierney and Obafi, that kind of thing. At fifth, that's it. That's the, that's the setup. And the reason why they're our best players is because obviously Ova's been in stinky form lately. But if you take these players out, who is going to do what they do? And Saka now is the heartbeat of our creativity. He is. <laughs> You know, he's so influential in the Chelsea game. Did he mean to score that a goal? Who knows? Uh, he reckons yes. he did. I, yes, he I did. love that. I love that. I think he might have. He reckons he's 
someone's saying that you, I think you were saying he was trying it in training or something. Yeah, I'll buy into that. We're, we're going to give him his props anyway. Um, <laughs> but in general, you know, when you're building your team around energetic youngsters, these, these guys are only going to get better. Those three in particular are solid players. Smith Rowe, perhaps a little less so, but Saka and Martinelli are the future of Arsenal and we have to build it around them. But what I just wanted to pull back on quickly is um, before the, the, the comment you were making before about, you know, Arteta's role in all of this. I don't think it, first of all, I agree, you know, I don't think people who called for his head were wrong. And I don't think the people who said give him a bit more time were necessarily wrong. People were like, give him two years, were wrong. No, you can't give him two years if he's doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. wrong, mate, you know. But in general, the reason why I think it was good to be, there, I say, calling for his head is because I do honestly feel that Arteta needed to feel like he was about, and he's still there now. If you have a bad run, you're getting sacked, mate. No other ways around it. That's where Vinay, if he had anything about him, was going in there going, next bad run, you're out of here, brother, unless you do something very serious in terms of getting us going and establish us. And the fact is, is when you think about the urgency that he had as a new coach last year, which was perhaps, you know, kind of diluted by the fact he was made manager, having this kind of burner under his arse saying you might get sacked seems to have, you know, cleared his thought process and basically got him into complete survival instinct. And that should be based around playing people that care because they will bear the most fruit in the long run. Well, I can't believe that I opened this podcast by saying this was going to be a small podcast. You, you, you've lit it up. Matt Candela has joined. Uh, Matt, how do you how do you top that? Like, what were what were your um, hot takes on the Bournemouth game? Because I, I I think that that was uh, a lot of positivity from Johnny there. Bournemouth, when we were playing Bournemouth, I keep on calling them Bournemouth, <laughs> Brighton. I haven't even had a full beer yet. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I was watching that first half and I was thinking, here we go again, and it was interesting. Just hearing those comments, because you're right. It's it's if we were expecting Arsenal to just pull out the Chelsea performance game in, game out, then you know, let's be honest, we've been watching Arsenal a long time now. It's just never gonna happen. Uh, but I still was hoping that we were gonna see that. And you know, I think I said on the last podcast, it feels like you know within a few minutes whether which Arsenal are turning up. And that's why I was fearing the worst, because there wasn't a lot of pressing in the first half. We we looked tired and a bit sort of lackadaisical um and then we did what we've done in a few games and 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 one interesting thought was you know the difference between this game and a couple of others um that we lost was that we didn't get a man sent off you know and it makes you look back and go if 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 Shaka hadn't gone if Gabriel hadn't gone was there a chance that we would have won those games you know when we started playing better in the second half but you know, it's a funny period of time, um, Christmas, and uh, the, the games come so thick and fast and maybe expecting people to press from the first minute when you just played three games ago with pretty much an identical team is too much and just obviously absolutely delighted to just find a way to win the game. And I don't know, we, we did enough in the second half and we turned the screw a bit. But like 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 you were, you, you guys were saying just before, the exciting thing is 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 the the youth players, you know, Martinelli and Saka. Well, then Martinelli had a had a had a poor game today. Uh, you know, let's just call it what it is. I mean, we love him, but it was poor. He he's, he's, he's nineteen years old. It's gonna. He happen, looked. Right? He, he looked. He looked exhausted. 
Yeah. But Smith Rowe, I thought, you know, the the positions he picked up, you know, he offers so many different um it, it's like he makes such a difference without even touching the ball because he's just pulling players into places. He's he's he he the whole team's orientation feels different. And I think the other big thing about it was that I love about Saka, Martinelli and Smith Rowe is that they all feel like they belong in the first team. You know, like, bless him, Joe Willock, bless him, Eddie. You know, they always feel, you always feel like they've been given a bit of a favour to be in the first team. That They don't feel like they don't want to give up the shirt. They will fight to do anything to keep their place in the first team. They're not scared of anyone. You oh, know, yeah. And, and, Some and, of these guys look like it's... Sorry, I was going to say, some of the other guys, Eddie and that, it's like they're part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, getting their, you know, first day out. You know, not really appropriate, but... It's true, it's true. And so Um, just to have these ones come in, and it's those three, really, I don't think... And Ainsley as well. And he's, you know, it's taken him a while, and you do, you can evolve into it, you know, like, he now feels like a natural when when he's playing um, and a regular... But it's those three. And I think special players come in and immediately think they should be in the first team from the first game. They don't want to be on the periphery for two years. They just want to come in and play every game for the first team. And and, and look, a lot of our uh, future success is going to be based on whether the three of them can stay fit, can develop, can can be backed by Arteta uh, and and can deliver, really. But that's the exciting bit for me, really. Yeah, I I thought that I thought that the first half was um, a bit slow and a bit laboured, but I do think back to you know like it's very rare that you get a good Boxing Day game. So I thought the Chelsea game was a little bit of a, an anomaly. The Boxing Day game usually looks like what happened today against Brighton, and I've watched quite a bit of Brighton this season. Oddly, they just they they always seem to be on American sports channels, and they do that to everybody. Like they're they're a difficult team to to break down. Um, they're you know they're, they're they're great in possession. They just they're just a bit toothless. Um, and I thought that that was the perfect game for us to possibly fuck up. And one thing that I was thinking, you know, you you, you say um, you know not having red cards benefits. You know, there's something in that. I was just thinking um, part of the the thing that worked for Arteta last season were these sort of twenty minute breaks that we had. You know, those little team talks that sort of allowed it to click. Now we have to wait yeah. until half time because I was worried that we weren't going to come out um, of the traps at half time. But whatever he said at half time, immediately moving the ball faster. Um, Smith Rowe was dropping deeper. Um, they were like pinging balls to Martinelli, Ober, um, and, and Saka. And, and things picked up. And, you know, Obama Yang misses some, uh, you know, uh, uh, some uh, a shot that he would score nine times out of ten. Um, we looked a little bit more creative, um, but the players looked like they believed a little bit more in the second half. And I knew once we got one goal, we'd just sit back because Brighton are toothless. But I thought it was a positive performance, and you know, it's not going to be um, it's not going to be ten out of tens for the, the the rest of the way into the season. I expect the West Brom game is probably going to look very similar to that, but. Um, a lot of progress. I love Smith Rowe. I love that he oh. plays on the half turn. I love that he's hungry, that he, he moves into the spaces where we haven't had players. But you know, like, he always, always wants the ball, never hides. 
Um, and he and he does an unbelievable amount of defending right up to the death when they were going to sub him on the 70th minute, but he stayed on. He never stops. And I, I, like to Johnny, your point at the at the start, hunger and desire. These kids are not playing for a 200 grand a week contract. They're playing to ensure that their next club is not Bournemouth or Brentford, right? And you can yeah. see that, you know, even with Reese Nelson, he comes on and you know that he doesn't quite have it to make it at the highest level. But when he comes on, um, he's playing for survival. And I, 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 I think that that sort of panic that you get in players, like, you know, it, it either ends in a shitty performance or it ends in Smith Road. I, and I think that if you just looked at that game and didn't know how old he was or how many games he played, I think you would say that he was one of our best players. Because I thought you yeah, were phenomenal definitely. today. So, so uh, a few things. First of all, big up to Matt Candela with that entrance. Very rare yeah. that you'll get someone entering the podcast halfway through, a la <laughs> 90s WWF Stone Cold Steve Austin intros. <laughs> Glass cracking, well done. Pete, put the sound effects in of a glass cracking. <laughs> it, was, when he comes it, it, in there. it was the Aaron Ramsey late in, late run into the box. <laughs> <laughs> he is, there he is. And he's got some great stuff. But um, so, in terms of one thing I'll disagree with you on, Matt, is um, I know you think uh, Martinelli had a stinker. I kind of know why you're thinking that, but I don't. I actually think he played well. Bear it in mind, he's a player coming back from virtually a year off. But what Martinelli brings to our team is a kind of energy and vigour that you have seen in Luis Suarez, that you have seen in um, Jamie Alexis. Vardy. Alexis. Alexis. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> when I'm seeing this guy tracking, he's out on the left wing and he's hounding a geezer down at right back. Then he's through to the centre-off. Then he's on the keeper. And there's playing panic. The keeper plays it out. That is literally a special talent in itself because not many people can do that and he the thing about like you know when we get frustrated as Arsenal fans and you go where's our press gone that we're having success with and two weeks later it's gone Martinelli always presses because that's just what's in his nature when he wakes up in the morning he starts running he doesn't even walk into the shower he runs he, like, he's a very serious man and for that reason I think he's absolutely essential to our next stage of development. And also, we had a nice little chance there where it just went over the bar, but you could see he was getting his sighters in. And I think next week at West Brom, that goes in. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of um, Smith Rowe, I think Smith Rowe's got a fantastic energy. Um, but you've got to also think about what this means in a player's mentality. Like when these guys have come through the academy. So, you know, Smith Bowl and stuff, they're living around London, they're living around Essex, Hertfordshire, or whatever. When you sign for Arsenal, it is a big deal. You're like, I'm, listen, they're going to be like, do you know about Emil? He plays for Arsenal, mate. Arsenal. You know, through his life, he's been rolling through down, I play for Arsenal and what? And if you could get through to that playing for Arsenal, that was the peak. When you've got some goon like Willie Ann in there, he don't give a shit about Arsenal Football Club. He's just picking up Pager. He spoke to Chelsea. You know, the fact is, is that the reason why um, these young players are trying, it's not just because they've got to prove their own, you know, self-worth, but dare I say that old adage, which sometimes gets wheeled out and overplayed, but, you know, those kids through the academy, if not local boys, know what it means to play for Arsenal. It's a real thing in that instance, because I think... Emil Smith-Rowe thinks it's a very 
very much a privilege to play for Arsenal Football Club and he plays like it and that is what the fans will engage with. Yeah, did you hear that story where he said he wanted to take Apparently, he's very, very confident, but doesn't seem like an arsehole as well, which is good. But apparently, he was like, you know, I want, when Ozil retires, <laughs> he said this when Ozil wasn't, wasn't, wasn't three seasons ago, t- mate. <laughs> tweeting. <laughs> but he goes, when Ozil retires, I, I, want, I want to take the number 10 shirt off him, like straight away. I love I want, that. I want, I want, I, and it's just like, that's the difference. It's not like, uh, Oh well, you know. Hopefully, I can get in the league cup squad and get some minutes. You know, this season or score my score a goal. It's like no, no, no. I want the number ten shirt, and that was, you know, very much the sort of Jack Wilshire style attitude. Although, you know, hopefully he can he he can not replicate all of Jack Wilshire's. Uh... Yeah, they've got um, they've got a shared they've got a shared culture as well. And I I, I go back to that uh, Maitland Niles interview where he where he basically called out. And he said. You know, I've got a bit of legs. So I give the midfield a bit of dynamics. That's because the Highlanders have all been talking behind the scenes, and you see it on the pitch. And I don't know whether you noticed it today. Uh, Granite was in the mix for the free kicks to start with, but by the end of the game, Smith Rowe and Saka had kind of pushed them out. <laughs> Those two were dominating wherever there was a free kick. They were over it pretty quick. And I, I, I think that that's that sort of, you know, when you've been playing with each other for 10 years and you start to take a bit of control, everyone can see that you're doing well. I love that. And um, I don't know, like the performance wasn't the best, but I take so much joy. The memories that come out of that game aren't the slow start. It's not that we only had three shots on target. It's that Smith Rowe, Saka um, and Martinelli were were bossing it, running around, like breaking through that they took control of the second half. Like that that sack of run for the goal was so, so you think of how many games he's played. And he broke free, sprinted, and then he plays that perfect you have to play a perfect ball into Lacazette at the moment, right? And Lacazette's <laughs> Lacazette's got 15 seconds to make a decision and he scores a goal. But um that's what we've it's lacked. a good finish as well. It's yeah mm. no no it's 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 a brilliant finish. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, there, there were some negatives in the game and I wanted to sort of get your hot take on it. Um, Mo Nenny uh, looks tired and he doesn't seem like he's of the level and nor does Granite. Um, I'm wondering what Ainsley needs to do to get in that midfield because it, like, you could see it in the first half where the players were getting frustrated with Mo and Xhaka because... It's like they're protecting their stats versus taking risks moving it forward. And this is the second game where Mo Elneny will take almost a harder option to go backwards than to play it forwards. So I wanted to get um I wanted to get your you, you know, Matt, give us your take on on the Mo the Mo and uh the Mo and Shaka well, access well, to Bland. Well they're they're clearly not good enough. Uh and we're gonna need more options. Um the good news is that party He's back in full training and I think he probably could have played today. But after the debacle last time where he was rushed back, there's no way he's going to get rushed back. My and little my bit hum- of goss, my little bit of goss is that he'll be back for the cup game. He won't be the back. Cup. The cup game is when they think he'll be ready. Who, who are we playing in the cup? Villa? Newcastle, Lee? I think. Newcastle, Newcastle. And then we play him the week after. Yeah, but we've got, look, look, we've got West Brom as the next league game. So West Brom just Point got up. top. They just Point got up. They just got top, they just got tonked five 0 by Leeds, so if we can't go and put one on them, then 
we might as well go home. We've got to go. That's a that is a must, must, must win game. Um, and and look, you know, look at our midfield options. That they're thin at the moment. But you know, it upsets me because it's like, it, why didn't we sell Ainsley if we're not going to play him? I think he's great. I'd I'd be playing him. I he would be almost playing every single game in some role or the other. Sometimes at right back to give Bellerin a rest, sometimes in central midfield, sometimes that left wing back role where he can tuck in that he uses with Tierney as a right sided. Like he can, Ainsley should be playing 60, 70% of all our games for me because he's, he's very, very versatile and he can give other players a rest. He can get a run himself. Um, there's no way that El Nenny is a better player. Could, and can you honestly say? Can you honestly say that El Nene makes less mistakes in a game than Maitland Niles? I feel like this is like. No, do you know, Johnny? Do you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. The fact is, I agree with both of you there. Um, when I say about Arteta has made you know some step forwards, but completely necessary step forwards. If they, as I say, if they weren't being made, pack your bags, get out tonight. That kind of that's the stage you're at. But the biggest uh, black mark against his name, though entirely predictable, was continuing to play Granite, who is not the answer. We know, whatever the answer is, we know it's not Granite Jacker. That's it. And the fact is, is like you guys, I think Ainsley should be in there because he provides legs and energy, something that Granite can't do anyway. And to be honest, if, considering parties out, won't be for long, but if you want to, put Xhaka and El Nenny in a Tombola box and go, oh, I don't care which one I pull out. I don't really mind, but it should be Ainsley, a.k.a. Legs and Energy, in there, plus one of them, whilst we're short-handed. When party comes back, none of them are getting games. Xhaka, not long for this club, should be out the door. Chatting smack this week again about, you know, oh, the fans are on at me for getting sent off. Shut up, mate. You've done it once before, and I tell you what, everyone wanted you out then, but you're coming back now. This was completely your fault. He should show contrition, but instead there's a kind of arrogance that exudes from Granite Xhaka these days, and I've got little to no time for it. So for me, absolutely, Ainsley should be playing against uh, West Brom. Um, Xhaka, the man to be dropped. So if El Nene was dropped and Xhaka in, doesn't really matter to me. But get one of them out, because we do need that um, intermediary between... Uh, defence and our attack because at times that's what slows our attack down so much it's because we don't get it to our quick players on the break quick enough until we saw what we could do in the second half when we were starting to get them get the ball into them quicker and we were terrorising Brighton because they couldn't deal with our pace in the counter I've got I've got a, I've got a controversial one which is and I, and I don't know, and I've just come back to him because it's just been we've just been so desperately poor in the middle, which is Gwendozi. And I sounds and and I've just been thinking about it and going, look, he's a, he's been a bit of a dick. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He got he got he got iced out for half a season. He missed the cup final. Wasn't that the time to go? That's what you get. If you if you play the fool, now come in and buckle down, because otherwise you're 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 going you're like you're, you've wasted your whole career. You're in the wasteland of Europe. You're at fucking Hertha Berlin or whatever it is, and it just feels like he has he's got energy, he's got touch, he's got everything from a player profile. He's just mentally 
being an arsehole, but it's not that he lacks passion or energy. It's just he's stupid. But is there genuinely nothing that we could do to, I mean, I think back to you know some of the great, Arsene Wenger was a genius at, at rehabilitating players. Is Arteta like, Oh, is that it? Is this just the, the non-negotiables? Just I, don't, the non-negotiables? I, don't, I don't think our, our line, our, Arsene Wenger avoided conflict um, and difficult, you know, he always had professionals. He never had our souls. And Mateo, Mateo, Mateo is the only person that I get news back and they're like, you know, people talk about Saliba and say Saliba should be playing. It's ridiculous. You know, like they should give him a chance. Um, nobody at Arsenal, nobody says that we should have Mateo back. He wasn't just a shit on the training ground. He was hot. he was nasty to the staff. Like he just got a, a, a really, really soiled reputation. And every ex coach is like he's just so much. He's so much work over and over again. I think that, yeah. and, and I think the fact he's at Hertha Berlin speaks to the fact that Europe, Europe knows, you know. And it's like it, I, I think that a, a disciplinarian like. Simeone would have picked him up, I think, over a Torreira-style player if there was if there was hope there. So I think it's gonna. I think it would take a real, real um, come to Jesus moment for himself to get back into Arsenal. But because he's got the talent, but like if you can't behave like a normal human being day in day out, if you're difficult and you're in a kind of growing squad that's trying to progress, I think it's really difficult to make exceptions for someone like him. But then Arteta um, doesn't help himself because then he lets William behave the way he wants to behave, right? That's the counter. Um, I think that, you know, that's where I was going to go. And I, I think it's a good point, Matt. It was also one that was brought up on this Arsenal WhatsApp group that I'm in. And they listen to this pod, so shout out to the Arsenal group. Big up <laughs> yourselves and all that. Um, but someone mentioned about, you know, uh, having Gwendouzi in the next to Thomas Party. Um, and you know what that would look like because one of the things that we've looked, we can see with Granduzzi's past performances is he was constantly being partnered with Granite Xhaka. Now, for me, they're like the same kind of player. They've got similar levels of mobility, though I think Granduzzi's slightly faster downhill. <laughs> um, but you know, the fact is, is they're they're basically similar types of players trying to do similar types of things. But obviously, Granduzzi can carry the ball much better. Um, and tackle better as well than Granite. But, um, you know, I think it's not to say that I think he should definitely come back in because, yeah, maybe the issues he brought were, you know, too uh, kind of terminal to actually, you know, get over and patch up. But what I would say is we've currently got a, a squad of players where three or four players are just the kinds of players that you talked about having rumours about and being bad eggs, being difficult with the squad, being, uh, you know, causing issues for the manager, questioning decisions. I would rather have my rogue player be Matteo Guendouzi than a 34-year-old David Luiz who yeah. is going nowhere. You know, the fact is, is every squad, tend, not every squad, but a lot of squads tend to have a few kind of outliers if you like and sometimes they're kind of you know is trying to cage you know uh, bottle magic because you know when they play well they're they're worth the kind of sacrifice and uh, if you can harness their power they're, they're they're really useful whereas when you've got a player like that in his waning years Master Erzul's another one 
you're like, yeah, but we're not really getting the full magic even when you're on form. So why are we dealing with the crap? Whereas Guendouzi, I think, he's better years ahead of him. So for me, when we're having to make decisions about who to play, El Nenny or Xhaka, I would like to see Guendouzi return if he, you know, and the only other option for that is if we get a big offer of big money to get him out, because then it's worth cashing in because we've got a lot of work to do with this squad. But if we're going to get budget offers, why not give Guendouzi a chance? He's not, he's not the biggest issue with our squad when you look at Willian, David Louise, you know, Meta Ozil, Granite Jacker. These are guys who really should have seen the back, the, the back door a long time ago. I think if you put, um, I think if you put Matteo, I mean, look, I, I, I don't think it, many people at Arsenal would would have him back at all. But I think there is logic in saying, well, Thomas Partey is one of the best midfielders on the planet. I don't think that anybody's going to deny that he's a Rolls Royce of a midfielder. See if he's the big man next to him, right? Like surround, <laughs> sur- like you know, sometimes you can surround talent with bigger talents to embarrass them a little bit, put them in their place. And I, yeah. I, I guess the only way that we find out whether he can be the player that he should be at a proper club, if he has a whole year of no incidents uh, uh, at Hertz Berlin. And Jens Lehmann is, um, is on the board there. He's like uh, in a technical role. So I'd imagine that he would be feeding information back to the club. And maybe there is another opportunity because I think actually... Um, you know, now we're talking about it. One of the biggest problems that Mikel Arteta has had is um, he's not very forgiving. He's a bit, um, you know, he's a, he's a bit like a sort of Donald Trump-esque, like cross me once and and that's it. And I don't think that that's a good trait to have as a Premier League manager. And it's like you're falling out with William, Luis, Ozil, Socrates, Mustafi. Like there's a lot of people that he's falling out with. Um, so maybe there is an opportunity to bring him back in. Yeah, there's this line I always like, which is like, he's got to be stubborn on his vision, but every good manager is flexible on the details. And, you know, do you remember when every year Wenger would just, he'd just stumble across a team that worked for him? Like, it, like it, it would just happen. Like, he just stumbled across Mertesacker Koscielny centre-half. He stumbled across that Kokzola, the Kokoland Kozola. I mean, he bought... Coquelin back from Charlton in January or whatever and put him with Santi Cazorla and made magic and we won the FA Cup against Hull or saying it you know like and then he was just like he, he he stumbled across it and then he just ran it into the ground until the wheels came off <laughs> and and uh and and I think it's a it's it's a bit like that you know it's like you you've just got to you just got to try whatever works and when it works you've got to be flexible you know and then when it works keep doing it you know but you can't being too principled is not going to be a a positive trait for him I don't think but, but this this is also why you know um and it's not about you know a kind of Arteta out rallying cry it's more about the fact that I honestly believe the only way Arteta is going to salvage his long-term kind of vision dare I say and ultimately achieve success at Arsenal is if he conducts his job from now on like he is one game away from being sacked that day because he hasn't got the leeway to keep far arsing around with Willian to come good and stuff. You're in the last chance to lose. And I don't think any Gooners should be easing up on this guy now. Like he has had a shocking season and two wins, you know, two swallows doth, doth not make a summer. This guy is, 
is, you know, he is in, still in the last chance saloon and he's ordering more drinks. The fact is, is he's got to really um, kind of instill a strategy and way of playing in the team that looks um, sane and pragmatic and achievable to Arsenal fans because that's the way you're going to get us on side ultimately. It's not a couple of, you know, kind of a good win against Chelsea, but a little bit more of a scrappy one today. So tell me this, I mean, how are we... We've got a big problem coming up, haven't we? Because we've got... The way the fans are, are, are talking, the way we've had these two wins on the bounce, what the hell are we going to do with David Luiz and Willian? Because it looks like we could be we could be going into the back half of the season with four really, really senior players completely frozen out or ostracised and against, you know, like, uh, it, that is a major divide. If we had Louise Ozil, Willian and Socrates turning up for training every day and not playing matches. I mean, what I does... Got, I think there's some moves that he can do, though, right? I think um, I think he's got to clear out. So I uh, I ran the my theory about putting players on gardening leave past someone in HR, and they said that apparently it's illegal. It's like constructive dismissal to just not allow players to go to training because you degrade their value and then you can get sued. So I think there's a few moves that that he can do. Maybe I think William he's going to have to give another go. Maybe we'll see him against um, West Brom because he can play in tight spaces and West Brom aren't going to really come at us. But I think um, Socrates um, and Mustafi. Maybe Mustafi goes to Barcelona in January. Um, Socrates. Like there are a lot sound of teams. right, does it? Mustafi going to Barcelona. I know, <laughs> but like, but he, they'll position it as he's a World Cup winner and maybe in a team that's more structured that Barcelona are definitely not at the moment. Maybe that'll help. But Socrates, um, that Leeds need a centre-back um, at the moment. I think West Ham needs centre-backs. Like, try and see, see if you can loan these players out. And maybe, I mean, I don't know whether it's going to happen, but David Luiz might take a loan because he's got to think about the next move. I'm not sure that he necessarily wants to move from the UK at the moment. So you might be able to just deal with him for the final six months of his career. I think another winning move Arteta could make, either put Saliba out on loan to a championship club. Don't send him back to League One. I don't think that that's the move. Um, or bring him back into the squad and, and register him for the remaining games of the, of the Europa League. Um, but... I, I just I, don't... I don't. I don't think that can be a possibility, Pete. That has to be a. This has to happen. This is what, what I mean. With, what, about, with Saliba. With Saliba. Right now, the fact is, is that you know, anyone who was thinking that people like myself and stuff were essentially calling into questions Arteta's tenure at this stage, just because we lost a couple of games. Games, granted, it was the worst run in fifty years. Yeah. It wasn't just that. It was the whole picture. And again, when we I came on here last time, we had a really in-depth discussion about his judgment was then in, called into question. What I hope out of this is that his judgment has been given a big shake-up and he said, actually, I built my house on sand here and actually I'm getting far more love and, and, and reward from playing the young players. And actually, if I was wrong about playing Emil Smith-Rowe and wrong about playing 
you know, Martinelli, Grant, he was injured, but giving more responsibility to Saka and getting rid of Willian, maybe this this defender that was signed from France and was dubbed the next Van Dyke, and I haven't played him once, and I'm talking about shipping him out to every team that wants him, just maybe I might have got that wrong. Because he has got it wrong. I'm going to actually come out here and say and put me out on it. I think he's got it massively, massively wrong. But what, what we're in a beautiful position to do when you've got, again, goons out here like David Louise or, you know, Mustafi, even in, in a matchday squad, it hurts my heart all the time, is you've got nothing to lose. Because how bad does Saliba need to be to be worse than Mustafi? It's got to be so bad. He'd have to be intentionally shit. And I don't think he will be. And we're not playing for the top four now. You can't play the experience card. What we're doing, really, and it hurts to say it, the next five months is a preseason for next year. Is well, Pete, Smith Rowe good enough? Is Saliba Pete, good enough? I mean, the one thing I'd say, and I don't want to, like, because I know what we're like on this podcast is terrible, but <laughs> we're, we're six points off fifth and we're nine do points it, off. We're nine. Do not do it. We're nine Don't go there. We're going to win the league, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but we're we're nine points off second. So and and look, we've got. I mean, I mean, you know, Chelsea have got City up next. Spurs have got you know, and, and Chelsea and Spurs are basically the teams we're vying for for fourth. You know, Chelsea, Spurs, United. That's where it's going to pan out by the end. You know, we're sort of six six points off those guys. So. Um, but that shouldn't that shouldn't shake the blueprint. The blueprint is young players will get you further, right? Yeah. The blueprint no, 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 against like, Chelsea wasn't senior players. And he, and, like, no, I think the bigger yeah. point on the Saliba is he doesn't have. I mean, my my point of view is what you said the other day, which was he can't be not good enough to play against Dundalk. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh. like, 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 he can't, he can't, he can't be because Dundalk are like a fourth division team or whatever. So. Um, no disrespect to Dundalk, but so he's got to be able to play some games, even if that's just giving the players ahead of him a break, so they don't get injured and keeping and them not, fresh. It's not always. It's not always about uh, just the technical parts. It's it's also the fans, right? To a certain degree, like the fans want to see him, and sometimes you know if if he makes a clangor against Dundalk, it's okay because no, you're scoring yeah. four goals. Right, and then it's like, hey, I know we spent thirty million on him, but that's Raúl, and he made a fucking shot that he can't even play against Dundalk. And then everyone goes, all right, uh, but I think he's got so much pressure on him about Saliba because at the moment it looks vindictive. AC Milan came in for him, like he's playing, in, he nearly played in a cup final. You know, like he's bossing it against Paris Saint Germain. You know, uh, he cannot be as bad as Mustafi, right? He just he, cannot be. So it's like. But- Tim Etienne last year won their first cup in, like, decades. Absolute decades. He was widely considered, and by anyone who watched him, their best player. They beat big teams. He's not a joke character. He's not. And, and the fact is, is we've given players with a much less pedigree a chance. It, like you say, exactly the same, Pete. If he made a few mistakes, you go, oh, well. But we're watching a geezer from, who cost £72 million look like he'd struggle over Hackney Marshes. So you can't, you can't skin it both ways. We're already, we're already suffering watching Pepe. <laughs> At the end of the day, the thing with Pepe, we're watching a geezer and we're like, everyone's like, this guy is just not up to it. You've got to get Saliba out there. You can't just dismiss him out of hand because 
I have to question Arteta's judgment when it comes to that. When you're bringing in Mustafi, who is a solid gold loser at this point, he's <laughs> well, always going to make mistakes. <laughs> so I'll tell you the I'll tell you the other bit that's interesting is uh, I'll tell you who's really come on in my eyes in the last few weeks is Rob Holding. I thought he was great today. Yeah. And I think he, I mean, it's not a great accolade, but he's probably our best centre-half now at the, at the moment. Like, if he had a better hairline and he had a, a, a less boring name, people would be talking about him. If he was uh, he, Rob, Rob Van Dyke, people would be talking about Rob, him. Roberto. Yeah, but, I, but, but, was, but do you remember he wasn't going to, he was going to go out on loan this year because Arteta didn't think he was going to be able to make it. And it was only because Louise got injured the first week of the season that his loan didn't go through to Newcastle. So again, you're like, Jesus Christ, we nearly didn't have Rob Holding. That, <laughs> yeah. because, and imagine if we hadn't had Rob Holding for the first half of the season because Louise was fit for the first game. I mean, we would have been in deep shit. Um, yeah. So you're just like, I mean, we got, Arteta got extremely lucky that that that, that, that happened. But also it makes you question his judgment around centre halves, you know, and, and and what's needed in the Premier League. Because actually I, sometimes you just need someone who can just head the ball out. Look how many crosses come into the box. Also, I think there's an argument to um pick his first choice centre half pairing just purely based off name. Because if William Saliba and Rob Holding were playing together and we had Bill and Bob as our centre half, like that, that works for me. That's nothing. <laughs> Bill and Bob, you know, anything you, you just knock in a box and Bill and Bob are getting rid, you know, and, and all of a sudden, it's, that's a brand we can get behind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm loving that. I, I, but currently, the way that he seems to pick players is there's like, um, there, he he places more value in the mistakes of senior players than junior ones because it's like. Well, you're always going to get mistakes with Mustafi. You're always going to get mistakes with Elneny. You're always going to get mistakes with Granit Xhaka. Like, why? Why are there mistakes? Um, like, what? Why? Why wouldn't you let Ainsley make a few mistakes? Because the ceiling is higher. And I think the the biggest point about um, like currently he's crushing the value of Saliba. That's a thirty million pound player. Maybe not thirty. Just say he was a twenty million pound player. You wouldn't get seven million for now. Ainsley. If you pumped his value, he could be a thirty million pound player this summer. But now he's now he's back to to fifteen. But he's insisting on pumping Granit Xhaka, and no one no one in Europe's going to pay more than twenty five million for him because they know what you're getting. It's six years of mistakes. There's no forgiveness for that player. So hopefully, like the the, the hope is, and look, I, I I do think that Saliba is nineteen years old, and there are not many nineteen year old centre backs that make it in the Premier League. You know, Eric Garcia. Um, didn't didn't have a good run. Fofana is kind of a bit of a freak. Varane is a freak. I do think a year out on loan would have done him better, but we should have actually put him out on loan. But I maybe going into the back half of the season, if we beat West Brom and we get nice, nice and comfortably into the mid table, then he will start giving youngsters a bit more of a chance, and maybe we'll see an exit plan because Mo's got to go, Sabios has got to go, Xhaka's got to go. Like who's filling those roles? Do we bring Aziz in? Does Patino get a go? Like I'm hoping that the back end of this season I mean, isn't I mean, a chase for top four. That's the great thing about you know if we were, if we beat West Brom and it's a big if, uh, you know the narrative will be the kids saved Arteta. 
Yeah, I mean that's going to be uh, and 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 because the first game is against Chelsea, it's not good. If it wasn't for the Chelsea game, you'd go, yeah, but they're all shit teams. Like you know, we always knew that anyone would have won these games. Agreed. But having that narrative of the kid saved Arteta, you know, and knowing what he's like as a person, I think that's really really helpful for us because I think that he will put his eggs in that basket and double down and um, and 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 really push on. And it tells him that the fans care less about, um, you know, shortcuts in the summer. And this summer is not about giving Isco a four-year deal. It's not about signing Diego Costa. It's finding the, like, the, the next whoever, you know, the next big creative player in world football. Like, okay, we didn't get uh, Soblase. Um, so, uh, you, you said it what, correctly, Johnny, right? So, Soblase. Shovel of life. Yeah. Um, like who who's who's the next big creative player in Europe? Let's sign him. This this Elise guy at Reading, eight million pound release clause. Let's let let's let's bring him in. Let's let's do some intelligent scouting and let's have the best young team in the Premier League. So when it does get into the Champions League in three years' time, it's ready to compete. Like I hope that we've seen the last of the short-term moves, and I hope that this horrible start to the season means something to what happens in January. I don't mind Isco on loan, but don't sign him Don't sign him long-term. Don't go for Christian Eriksen in a swap deal for Xhaka and we've got to deal with 250 grand a week on the wage bill again. Like, let's start building towards the future and, and invest in young players that have some sort of resale value. Do, do you reckon Real Madrid do receipts and we can take Danny Ceballos back and go, oh, we actually got the wrong one? Uh, we want Isco. Uh, well, I, I, did, I, did, I did wonder um, because... Uh, Atleti's sent back Torreira so like I don't know about you guys I would send Danny Ceballos back home send him back he's yeah. useless he's he's absolutely I don't I, I, like it, he's got all of the bits but none of it works <laughs> he's not going to drag us forward so ultimately when we're starting to make you know uh, ruthless decisions then he could he could go tomorrow it wouldn't really matter I want to just pull back, pull back on one of the things that you said, Pete, because I know you've said this a couple of times. And I'm not saying you're wrong, but I don't necessarily think you're right. It, it's a potential um, uh, situation, explanation for the situation, but not necessarily true. And that is that, you know, this idea that Arteta it has in the past refused to drop Willian and people because they're being paid loads of money or he's trying to pump up Jacker's value, you know, instead of letting Ainsley's value grow. Like, I'm not sure Arteta is caring that much about value because that explanation is being used as a way to somewhat protect uh, Arteta's judgment. Like, he might just be looking at these guys and thinking, these are the people I think are best to play. And that's, you know, it can't be just considered that he's doing it because he's paying Willian loads of money. He might just be looking at it going, this is the best guy, which is why it starts getting so frustrating and kind of, you know... I, th- it- I think that that's... The, the, the thing that happened with Arteta that made it all go wrong was getting promoted to manager. Because then he made he started making decisions on who got contracts and who we yeah. signed. He went to the board and said, 250 grand a week for William is worth it. He signed off on David Luiz. He signed off on Aubameyang. And then you go from being a coach that's just told what to do um, to being uh, a politician because he's invested in those signings. 
So I think he knows that they're not playing well, but he also knows if he doesn't play them, the board are going to be like, hold on a minute, you said that you would sign these players were going to be good. And it look, it's, it's a bum decision. So I think he's been a politician. And I think actually Chelsea and Brighton is him back to being a coach. And he needs yeah. to be a coach moving forward, regardless of what William is being paid. And hopefully that's what's going to happen. But I, I don't think it's that he doesn't know that these players are not giving him anything. I think that he was just worried about his political capital with the board. That's my yeah, no, that's fair enough. I, 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 again, I'm definitely not saying you're wrong. It would explain a certain amount of things, but I just think you know, like for instance, last year when Xhaka and Grant played really well, but towards the end of last season was getting games all the time, and he was playing Mustafi. And the explanation that I could get on board with that he was trying to pump Mustafi's value you know, to sell him in the summer. Well, we didn't sell him in the summer. And Mustafi should never, ever play for Arsenal again. Like, that's how severe it is. He's absolutely, he is radioactive as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, the fact that Arteta still even now brings him on every now and then as a sub. Yeah. Just, you know, there's no way, there's no way to spin that knife for me. It's not value anymore. It's he looks at him and says, it's better to play him than Saliba, for instance, we talked about him. And that, for me, is still way off. And he's going to have to learn very quickly that, you know, the old way is not the way to go. Because I still think that, as we've discussed on this pod in great depth, you know, his job's still up, for, it's still in debate, you know, and he's going to have to end the season well from now on. And, that, and that's, but that's, where, um, that's also where a good technical director comes in. Because when you're a manager... And he said it in the week. He said, you know, I look after the hearts of 70 people or the training ground and it's my job to have a relationship with them and keep them going. Your job as a manager and a leader at that level on a day-to-day basis is to have relationships with people. The job of a technical director is to say, Mikel, I know you love David Luiz for what he does on the training ground, but look at these stats. Look at these mistakes. No contract for him. He's going. William Saliba is the future and you need to look after him. You need to take that, the emotional weight yeah. out of the decisions. And what happened this summer? Firstly, there was a pandemic, so no one had any money to invest in players. But secondly, you just knock on the door and say, Mikel, you know, I want to stay here. I believe in your incredible project. Massage his ego. And he was like, you're in. And I think the where we need leadership is this summer when Mikel says, these players are great. Somebody steps in and says, no, Mikel, these players yeah. are going and your job as a generational, I'm doing air quotes, a generational coach is to make them better. And these are the tools you're going to get. And you're not getting any 30-year-olds. We're going to clear out the squad and we're going to start from scratch. This is a three-year project. And if you don't like it, find a better job because there's not a better job for you right now. Like succeed at this and then talk to me about Barcelona coming in for you because they're not at the moment. Your, your um, capital with the fans, with the board is really low. So you're just going to work in this small little box. And that's what ha- that, that's what needs to happen, but we don't have that in Edu, sadly. So um, you know, we said on we had, Matt, you actually got chastened or by a, a, a commenter who said the last podcast was very dark because you called for the sacking of somebody new into his career in Edu. But I think you are right. Uh, Vinay has got to change something, regardless of where this season ends, because it's probably going to end in eighth. Someone needs to fall, right, to show that we're moving forward. And I think that that's if 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 Arteta keeps it going, it's probably got to be Edu because he's not showing the leadership he should because the decisions that we've made that are terrible, they're Arteta's fault because he agreed with them 
but the point when a junior manager comes to you with a shit idea in any job, you say, no, sorry, mate. No, fuck off. Come back again. Matt, do you want to respond to the poster that said that you were uh, a bad person? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I don't think there's any other option. I mean, w- the worst option we could do is get rid of Arteta because then we bring in a new coach and then we've got still got Eddie making terrible decisions. Um, so really, look, there, there is no good outcome. Like, like this, we're feeling good because we've got six points out of six for the first time since the beginning of the season, first couple of games, and we're on the rise again. But the club is fundamentally broken in terms, in terms of structurally broken. And what we were saying about, you know, Saka being our best player and Martinelli being like our second, like it's true. And that's really, really dangerous and worrying because they're young kids and it's a lot of pressure on them. But we do have the core of a decent squad. And it's frustrating because if we had a good technical director manager convo, we could pretty, and we've got all this deadwood leaving next summer because all the contracts expire. We'd have, we have a really good chance over the next three years of putting together a really good squad. The annoying, the other annoying thing is that we just messed up that majorly by signing Willian and Obama Yang on the mega contracts, because what could have been a real rebuild is now going to have to be like a partial rebuild. Because we've got 500k a week going to those two every week. So we need someone smart coming in as a technical director. Um, I don't think what we hoped is that Arteta could literally do it all by himself. And that's what we thought we had at the end of last season. We thought he was just that once in a lifetime, once not even once in a lifetime, once in a generation coaches who would come in, change everything. He won the cup, he changed our style of play, changed our culture. And the bit that's been most hurtful to all of us is that he's not, he's not, he's, he's a young coach and he's made a load of mistakes and maybe he'll make it, but he's not as good as we thought he was. That's the bit that really hurts. Uh, he might still be good, but, you know, the, the jury's out, but we have to get rid of, we have to get a technical director to come in. We need, we're still missing any vision of the club. And it feels like the path of least resistance is to, is, 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 is for Edu to move aside, but, you know, what I didn't like, because on the last podcast I said Ed, Arteta needs to kill Edu. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, but but already this week you've seen Arteta saying, you know, I've been so well supported by people like Edu. And it was just like, he's bringing, unless he's bringing his enemies closer, which I don't think he's doing, it's it, he's trying to, trying to get everyone feeling all warm and cuddly again. But really he should be, He's got, he's got to I said it. I just firmly believe that. Um, just to jump in, I, I know we're running quite long now, so I'll try and wrap up quick. But um, And I do like got an ice edu, proper hitman <laughs> style. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, yeah, no, so there's a few things there. I don't, first of all, um, on, a, on a positive note there, I say, if you were, when Arteta started, if you were to say, that Arteta was going to go on to have a really successful career at Arsenal, winning several trophies over five years, then I believe that he would have had to have had a period like he's just had, inbuilt in those five years, to have got that success. You're not getting a coach with a squad like ours come in and go five years unbeaten, you know, in quotes. But, you know, just basically... 
smooth over everyone all those five years. There was always going to be a tough period. And the key point to Arteta's career would be whether he can learn from his lessons. Because the negative of that having a, neg- uh, a novice coach is the fact that they haven't got those experiences to draw upon. It's obvious. But ultimately, this is his biggest learning curve. And this will be the absolute litmus test to see whether he draws the right conclusions that many of us who've been watching Arsenal for years can already, you know, have already seen a patently clear. Um, however, that's not a guarantee that he's going to go on to success, even though if he was going to have a successful, this bad period was always going to be there. It could also mean that if he doesn't start making those decisions, he, we have to stop looking about him as some elite coach and all of this nonsense because ultimately he has been given a good job most coaches don't get a job like Arsenal was your first job no. not being able to spend money you know so so it, it, it is a big opportunity for him and he will ultimately you know live or die by the way he continues on with Arsenal the only other thing I'll just respond to Matt on in terms of whether Edu has to go you know I get I completely get your point I think it's a a, a very reasonable you know uh, conclusion to draw but it doesn't have to be, you know, if we get rid of Arteta, we'll be in square one again because Eddie's there. No, because the thing is, they're both novices. So if you get an experienced manager who doesn't need an arm around the shoulder to say, this player's shit, this player's not good, you know, keep to your strategy. Some managers are like, this is how I'm going to do things. Don't get involved with me too much from above and let me go about my business. You know, when I've talked about Hassan um, Hootel before, is about a potential... You know, I don't think he's going to be tapping on Edu's shoulder going, what do you think about this guy? Well, I think he has a clear idea. So you weigh on Edu less if you were to replace the manager of an experienced coach. So it's not a, you know, obvious solution getting rid of Edu as opposed to Arteta for me. For me, it's whether Arteta proves himself to be worth the gamble. Yeah, it's just the recruitment thing, I think, because I think, with our, this body of youngsters that we've got that we that we feel good about and with a few other decent players, you know, we are probably, if we were spending money well, we we, we would only need to spend 150, we, I mean, only around 150 million to be competitive again. Like 350 million pound players who are expertly recruited should be enough to get us challenging at the top end of the table. Uh, but right now, I mean, who would you trust to spend 150 million? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it would, it would go on Diego Costa. Uh, (laughs) who's there? It would go, we'd we'd bring Oscar back for 60 million. Yeah, Yeah. I appreciate those points. That's a point well made to be fair. Yeah, all right. Um, well, guys, that was actually the biggest podcast that we've done all year so Johnny I'm apologizing again for calling this a small podcast um thank you uh, both for jumping on that was fun it was nice to end the year on a victory and uh yeah. Johnny do you want to um, share your um share your podcast credentials um yeah as always I'll give a little plug in because we're going to be getting going on series two soon the how's your father podcast is my podcast where I talk to a bunch of yeah, kind of well-known fathers about all aspects of fatherhood. So if you're a dad or interested in fatherhood, um, listen to the How's Your Father podcast where you get all your podcasts. Oh, and on socials at HYF podcast. And my social is at I, Johnny Cochran. Thank you. Matt, you got anything to that, that you need to plug today or are we keeping it low-key? 
No, I'm just keeping it low-key, hoping for a better 2021 for us. Well, 2020 wasn't terrible for us, nor was it? We, we mean, won the FA Cup. We, the FA Cup was fantastic. We had a great day out. Yeah, we did uh, have a great day out. So, yeah, hopefully uh, just on the upward tick for Arsenal. Awesome. Well, if um, if you listen to the podcast, you know the rules. Get onto that iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Maybe a nice little comment because it's the end of the year. And uh, tune in next week because we'll be doing an On The Buzzer podcast for the West Brom game. Ciao for now. Ciao for now. Peacock Streaming, the biggest live events from Super Bowl 56 to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.